Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Our goal in building a church is to see God's great desire for fear on earth, and that is uh, for heaven to be on earth. And that is the, the goal of all that we do. That's why we preach the things that we preach. That's why we pursue the things we pursue for the great desire and mandate of on earth as it is in heaven. Our goal and our vision as a church is in our city as it is in heaven. And so what does that mean is that we are intentionally uh, positioning ourselves to discover more of what heaven is like. And not just stop at the point of discovery, but work towards establishing these things on earth. Heaven is a place of honour, therefore we honour one another, therefore we have a culture that is pregnant with honour. Not just to God, but to one another. And so this is what we aim to do as a church, in our church, as it is in heaven. Amen? And uh, last week we explored the concept of the church as a family. Family is not just a side core value. Family is not just a way to describe a laid-back service experience, but family is a divine experience. The primary mission of Jesus on the earth was to reveal the Father. He then invites us into this relationship with Almighty God through the Lord's Prayer. When he articulated the words, pray like this, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have been invited and grafted into the family of God. That was why Jesus came. So that we will be reconciled back unto God. And now we, as his disciples, as Christians, as Christ followers, we have that mandate, that mission to establish family on the earth, to invite people to belong before they believe. Because that's what Christ did for the disciples and Christ did for the people they encountered on the earth. He invited them, grafted them into the family of God. That's why we do the things we do. And so family is not just a side project, it's our very assignment as a church. To be family. Amen? That means, you know, we, we have kids running around. That means, you know, the service might not be the most well put, put together at times. That means, you know, we uh, have stuff going on. But it's all in the name of family, amen? We're still excellent. We're still excellent. You know, you bring your A game in family. But family means this. Family means no one gets left behind. <laughs> But family means, you know, we, we, we are committed to a people. Not a performance, not a program. Family means we're committed to a community. Family means that we are covenanted to one another. Not a program, not an event. That means we, we don't get to uh, alienate, we don't get to disqualify ourselves from family based on what we do or based on what family does. We're covenanted one another. And that w- that's what it means to be a family. Amen? This week, we're we are going to be exploring uh, what I believe to be a rather common topic, yet it is immensely profound and central to all that we do in church. It'll be a simple, short teaching, but I believe that you will be blessed. Amen? Yeah? How many of you are excited for God's Word this morning? Yes? Beautiful. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to discover you in your word. Lord, we thank you that your word is not an archaic piece of literature, but your word is living and breathing and speaks to us right now. So God, we ask that as we open the scriptures this morning, let your voice come forth, God. 
Father, I pray that people will not be persuaded by the eloquence of my speech or the depth of my research, but they will be impacted by your Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, we ask that you will have your way in this place this morning. God, speak to your people. Lord, I ask that you will indeed, by your grace, deposit in every heart a freshly spoken word this morning. Let your word go forth and bear much fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The question of eternity is the most important thing in life. Um, Heaven is a real place. Hell is a real place. Eternity is a real thing. The question of eternity is the most important question we, we have to answer in life. You can have all the things going on. You can have all the riches in the world, all the wisdom in the world, all the power in the world, all the connections in the world. But if that question of eternity is not resolved, you are without eternal life. Plain and simple. You know, uh, Paul likens uh, our lives to building a house. um, And in the house, there are different materials, wood, hay, straw, gold, silver, precious stones. And Paul says that at the end of all days, on the last day, a fire will come down and consume everything that can be consumed till that which is of God, of the kingdom, remains. You know, we, we can build our lives really well. We can build a career, an empire, riches on the earth, but if it's done void of God's kingdom, it is not going to last in the last day. Eternity is, is a really real thing. Most of us live lives with a 70 to 80 year perspective. What do I mean by that? I mean that our decisions, our goals, the things that we do, it all is mapped and planned out all the way till, for most of us, an 80-year mark. You know, we store inheritances, we sign policies, we sign plans, and it is all unto an 80-year mark. And by the time, you know, the 80 years out, we are, we are expecting to die, and then that's it. You know, I've lived, uh, uh, it's a life well-lived. How many of you agree that you know, most of us live, live with a 70, 80 year perspective? But it's important for us to discover that we need to live lives with an eternal perspective. How you perceive the end will determine how you live in the present. If you live with 80 years as the end of all ends, everything stops there, then you will plan and live your life based on, on that. If you live with physical death being the absolute end, then you will plan and live your life based on that. But if you live life with an eternal perspective, and this is a really real thing for Christians, for believers, it's our blessed hope, it's our eternal hope that past this veil of physical death lies a life that is far more glorious, far more joyful, far more aesthetic than life lived on earth. That glory far eclipse whatever we experience on the earth. And that is our blessed hope, that is our great joy as Christians. Paul says this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't know how many of us actually live lives that way, thinking that by death, by dying, we actually gain. Or is death still something we fear because we haven't had the important questions answered? Eternity is a real thing. And if we live lives with an eternal perspective, recognizing that at the end of our lives, our physical lives, there is another life, another glorious life to live. 
If we live lives that way, then my suggestion is that we will begin to prepare for that life. Instead of only preparing our lives based on a 70-year, 80-year perspective, planning our lives in that regard. The question of the hour is that how much structure, discipline, things you've given yourself to on the earth today, can you say actually adds value to your eternal life, your eternal destination? They're making sense. You see, I, I believe what we do with the cross, how we approach the matter of the cross determines where we live in eternity. But how we live our lives post-cross determines how we, how we will live in eternity. The Bible says at the end of all day, we will stand before the judgment seat of God and we'll give an account for our lives. That account is not an account for sin. Sin was already dealt with on the cross. That account will be an account for how you built your lives since that point. And the Bible says that we'll be given reward in that day. Making sense. Eternity is a real thing and it's something that we ought to take seriously and we ought to plan and live our lives with that in regard. Eternity is to be the cornerstone of all logic and reasoning in our life. Any life that is lived void of eternity as its cornerstone is a, sh- is a short-sighted life. That making sense? Yes? Yes? Great. Our life in heaven, our eternal destination is one that's full of mystery. Am I right? You know, will we live in mansions? Will there be uh, different uh, points of uh, where we, you know, the level 10 Christians get to be near the throne of God. Level 6, you know, you are outer courts-ish. And then level 1, you stand outside the gate, you know, with Peter standing there and taking tickets as you go in. <laughs> right. There are many, many schools of thought on what heaven's going to be like. Some people are like, oh, you know, when God says, I, I've, I've you know, many rooms in this house, he means mansions, we have pools, stuff like that, you know. And, uh, and some people think heaven is just one big worship service, you know, that's all we're going to do. I don't know, right? It's full of mystery. Nobody has uh, the full answer or the full picture of what heaven is like. A lot of it's all speculation. But one thing that's for sure, though, is this. The Bible actually gives us a glimpse into what heaven is like. And one of the things we know is that all of heaven, all of heaven, will be occupied by one central activity. It's something that involves the angels, the elders, the saints, the living creatures, all the beings in heaven will be occupied by this one central activity. And it's what we did for the last 30, 45 minutes. That's worship. Worship is the primary reason for existence of all of creation, not just believers. We were created for worship. Worship, okay, the band just now, it's not a warm-up act, not the opening act to the preacher coming up. You know, sometimes I feel like a rock star, you know, like, and now Andre, you know, after the warm-up stuff, you know, people are all warm. It's not that. Worship is not a means to an end. It is the very end. When we read the book of Revelations, we know that at the end of all days, we will stand face to face with God as believers, worshipping Almighty God with the saints, with the angels, with the elders. That is the goal. That is our reason for existence. Amen. It is to worship. And the thing I would like to suggest to you is this. If that is to be our eternal assignment, that is to be 
What primarily occupies us in eternity? That's what we're going to be do, doing, worship. If that worship is, if that is the primary atmosphere of heaven, my suggestion to you is that we don't talk about it enough. We don't talk about it enough. If all that we do in life, you know, leads up to life after death, if I were to plan and map out my life, if I were to make conscious decisions that adds value to that life, if I were to prepare myself for that life, then I need to get this matter of worship sorted out in my life. Amen. Worship is it's, it's core, it's central to what we do here as a church. It's, it's who we are. When we had an outpouring of youth ministry some years ago, one of the primary fruits that we saw in the lives of young people is a real love for worship. A real love for worship. It's a natural manifestation. If you study the revivals, you study the moves of God of old, when, when the Spirit of God touches a place, worship is a really natural manifestation of that. It's a real natural manifestation. You know, we, to some degree, prioritize worship in this church. It's an interesting fun fact, but a third of our church is actually on the worship team. A third. Like, conservatively, a third of our church is on the worship team. We don't have a big enough stage for all your talent. But, you know, we will, you know, we can have like four acoustic guitars, you know, playing in synchronization if you want. No, we, we have a, a, a ton of people, you know. But, but not only that, no, we, we are really invested into uh, worship. You know, our teams come in at seven in the morning to re- rehearse. Seven in the morning, you know, and they prepare. We have like, Set lists. We, we take things really seriously because worship is, is a priority to this church. It's a priority to our very existence as believers. Amen? You know, as, as a preacher, one of uh, the things I'm, I'm, I'm going to share with you that I, I want you to hold me accountable to is this. As a preacher, I never want to be the sort of preacher that uh, ruffles through my notes, sits down in the middle of worship, and uh, trying to work out my sermon notes while worship is going on. Because worship is not a warm-up act. It is why we are fundamentally gathered here today. To worship, to offer praise and honor to Almighty God. The other thing that I'm holding all worship team members, worship leaders accountable to is this, that you can't be leading on stage and not be engaged with God's Word. We have to hold both in the same regard. Spirit and word. To love, worship, but give honor, give attention to God's word as well. Amen. And that's the kind of church we want to be. A church that that is present in worship, that doesn't take that act of worship flippantly. But we also want to be a church that is present, that is receptive to God's word. It's not an archaic piece of literature. It's the living, breathing, active voice of God. Amen? It's not to be taken lightly. That making sense. Worship, you know, for most people, my, my individual understanding comes from the, the Latin word meaning to offer worth, worth-ship. God created a universe so that it would display the worth of His glory. And he created this glory and, and reflected it, knowing and loving it. And that glory demands a response. Amen? And that response is worship. Worship is what we were created for. It's the final end of all existence. It's the worship of God. Now, there's this uh, story that I love. Uh, one of my friends, he's a really radical guy. He 
brought his guitar to his army camp. And uh, he was sitting on his uh, top of his bunk one day, and he was just worshipping God um, in, in the bunk. Because you don't have your own room in the bunk. You share the bunk with uh, 15 other lovely smelling individuals. And so he was, he was on, the, on the bunk, and he was just singing, How great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. He was just doing his thing, you know. And uh, he closed his eyes, and he was worshipping. And uh, shortly after he started, you know, he began to hear uh, other voices joining along. And when he opened his eyes, he saw that uh, at the foot of his, of his bed, there were all these guys who were in the bunk of different uh, faiths, different ethnicities. They were standing there and they were singing along with him. Crazy. And so he turns to them and he asks them, uh, do you know what you're doing? And do you know the song? And, and, um, and he just asked one of them, he's like, um, you know, why, why are you singing with me? Why are you singing along? Well, one, the guy answered, because the song said, said so, you know, sing with me, how great. <laughs> yeah, some of you are disobedient, man. When worship leader says, sing with me, you're like, impress me, worship leader. But, but this, this, this is what he said, and this is profound. He says this. He looks at my, my friend and said, it felt right. It felt right to sing. It felt right. Inbuilt in every single human being, all of creation, is a desire for the glory of God. It's a desire to do what we were made to do, and that is to worship. We were all made with that deep desire, with that call, with that purpose of worshiping Almighty God. It feels right. It feels right. That's why we worship. Amen? So sorry, I'm still on page one. We'll, we'll get trapped door. <laughs> worship and my understanding of worship comes from the Latin word worship, and that is where we express God's worth in our lives. Right? And that's where we offer worth to God, and that's what the word worship means. The implication is staggering. It means this that anything that I do in life that I position to offer worth to God equates to worship. That means that my career my interaction with people, my giving, treatment of my spouse, buying nice things for them. All these things, if I position it rightly, I'm not saying that these things automatically are included in the worship category, but if we position it rightly with the intent of glorifying God through these acts, it becomes worship. Right? It offers worth to God. Amazing. Amazing implication. It, it means this, that a worship service no longer is restricted to a 30-minute set. Our lives gets to be a living, acting, walking worship service. Worship then is not restricted to a time frame. Worship then becomes a lifestyle. All that we do gets to offer worth to King Jesus, if we allow it to. Staggering implication, right? Seems like only Andre is impressed, but we'll move on. Today, though, um, you know, I, I, with the series in mind, you know, Build This City, we're talking about the local church. We're talking about how we built God's house as God's people. I want to talk about worship specifically in the context of local church. Are you all following me? Yes? I believe that what we model here okay, will determine the realities that we experience. When we seek to establish heaven on earth, we'll begin to see more of heaven's realities on earth. And this is not an option for us as believers. It's our very mandate to see heaven on earth, you know? 
the more we see heaven here, the more its realities get gets established. That means people get healed, stuff gets restored, people get set free. It's all good, all good. This is what we want. Amen? So this is my, my sermon title for today. It's up there. Build this city, an atmosphere of worship. An atmosphere of worship. That's what we want to see in this place. You know, you all are really doing good. You know? We have great worship teams. You all are engaged in worship. But I believe uh, what God wants to do through this teaching is take our worship another level. Another level. Amen? I believe everyone worships. It's only a matter of who or what we worship. That which vies for your attention, your value, your worth is what the Bible defines as an idol. This thing of worship means so much and impacts the heart of God that we see His heart okay, uh, for worship uh, through these two stories. You know, the love of God for us is unconditional. We can all agree in that, yes? But you know, you, you just have to be in a relationship or have children to know that though your love is unconditional, there are things that your child, your spouse, your girlfriend can do that brings uh, joy, pleasure, and impacts your heart. Am, am I following you? Are you all following me? Yes? His love for us is His responsibility. But to what measure we are pleasing before Him is our responsibility. And this thing of worship, it impacts the very heart of God. And we see it through two stories. You know? We see it through the story of uh, the woman who broke the alabaster jar before Jesus married. She broke it before Jesus. She, she anointed his feet with oil. And it's a beautiful, extravagant gesture, a year's worth of wages. And the beautiful thing is that she left the house smelling like Jesus. Extravagance has a smell. It smells like the Lord. Okay? And, and she left the house. And, and this is what Jesus said about that act. It say, he says this, wherever the gospel is preached, this story will be recounted. Staggering. Another person I'd like to bring up is King David. King David, we know, is, is, is the worship king. You know, he uh, was sacrificed a lot in many ways, but one of his greatest gestures of sacrifice was when they were bringing back the Ark of the Covenant, that which represents the presence of God into the city. He laid sacrifices every six steps, and then he began to dance before the Lord, and the Bible says that he did so undignifiedly. He rent his garments and he danced before the Lord, allowing himself to be mocked, ridiculed, disrespected as king. As king. And we know that David would break all protocol by putting the Ark of the Covenant in the tent and allowing worshippers to come in to worship 24-7. Worship then was only restricted to the high priests. Only they could do it. But then he broke all, pro all protocol. He brought a New Testament reality into the Old Testament. And he instituted 24-7 worship. This is how much David impacted the heart of God. For all of eternity, Jesus will be worshipped as the son of David. The son of David. Think about it. For all of eternity, he'll be regarded, worshipped, talked about as the son of David. How much do you have to do to impact the heart of God, that he would associate his son with your name. Worship. Worship impacts the heart of God. Amen? You know, they weren't the only people that worshipped in the Bible. Right? We see people worshipping the Bible all the time. 
But what I believe stands out about these two stories, these two stories to me stands as the premier examples of what worship is. What stands out about these two gestures and acts of worship is what I believe uh, I want to talk about for the rest of my sermon. And I believe that what made the offering special, what made their worship special was that it was flavored with immense sacrifice. Everybody say sacrifice. I love that we enjoy the worship experience. I love that we come here and we say we were revitalized by the worship. We really experience God. The worship, we feel the goosebumps, the heat, the tingles, the cold, all that good stuff. Love it. It's my favorite. It's Christian recreation at its best. I love it. But, but catch this. The primary essence of what makes worship worship is not your experience. It's sacrifice. It's sacrifice. Up to this point in the New Testament, whenever worship was talked about in the Old Testament, it always looked like a priest coming into the sanctuary of God, the temple of God, preparing himself to various, various rituals, preparing a sacrifice, and with much thought, with much consideration, with much of the heart of God in mind, he walks into the sanctuary and lays a sacrifice before God. That was what worship looked like. Today, it looks like a song service. It looks like kumbaya. It looks like, did you really feel God in the worship? It looks like shuk or not the worship. The notion of worship benefiting self, benefiting anyone other than God, was completely preposterous. It always involved sacrifice. It always involved laying something down. Is that making sense? I'm not saying experiencing God benefiting through worship is a bad thing. I'm not. But I'm saying that it cannot be our primary pursuit. It cannot be our primary pursuit. And towards the end of my sermon, it seems like, seem like I, I'm talking, uh, I, I'm contradicting myself. When worship is done so, with the intent of getting something out of God, it is no longer worship, it's flattery. Flattery is when you do something nice to get something in return. That making sense? The Bible says this, says this no, that bless the Lord all my soul and forget not his benefits. I'm not saying that the two are mutually exclusive, that you can't worship God and and that you can only worship God or pick His benefits is one or the other. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying this, you know, that we ought to seek first the kingdom of God as a priority before pursuing all things added unto us. Worship is done so with the primary purpose of adoring King Jesus or bringing worth to Him. Am I making sense? Sacrifice. Are you all with me? Track with me. I, I want to read two passages of scripture with one thought, one thought, and with three points. Then a the trapdoor will take me away. Are you with me? Let's look at uh, Genesis chapter 22. And uh, I, I want to uh, give you a bit of context about this passage of scripture I'm reading. You know, we, we're all familiar with this story. It's about, uh, you know, sacrifice of Isaac. Um, but what most people might not know is that 
this is the first occurrence of the word worship in the Bible. And scholars believe uh, in, in this practice when interpreting scripture called the law of the first mention. And it means this, to study the first occurrence of the same in order to get the fundamental inherent meaning of that doctrine. It's the first mention of the word worship and I believe it sets the precedence, it sets the tone. It gives us insight into the very essence of what worship is. Okay? Genesis chapter 22. Okay. We're all familiar with story, yes? Familiar enough? Not familiar? Crack open your Bible. It goes like this. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son, Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. Next slide. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there and we will come right back. Worship is sacrifice. The act of obedience and sacrifice was regarded as worship. I'd like to suggest to you that you can't worship without sacrifice. You can't worship without sacrifice. It's the very essence, it's the inherent meaning of what worship is. Sacrifice. I'm making sense. Romans 12.2, New Testament scripture, it goes like this. 12.1, sorry. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Sacrifice. Now, sacrifice seems like a big word. It seems like, you know, this is only for the mature Christians. For us, you know, regular Christians who are not in ministry, the sacrifice is not a a thing to consider. But I'd like to give you a bit of insight into what that word sacrifice means to me and what I believe it means to us as a faith community. That's what I believe. Sacrifice is this. Sacrifice is a step beyond convenience. A step beyond convenience. What does this mean to you and I? It means that sacrifice is not restricted or is not, uh, it does not just look like the big gestures. You know, the I lay my life down, allow myself to be killed, give a million dollars. It, just, it doesn't look just like that. Oftentimes when we think of sacrifice, we think big gestures. But I'd like to suggest to you that you can sacrifice in your life by allowing yourself to be inconvenienced. I'm making sense. Sacrifice is a step beyond convenience. Many times we approach the scripture of being a living sacrifice and we glance over it. We're like, oh, this one is for you know, either a very high level Christian or for future Andre to entertain, you know. You're like, maybe future Andre has it all together and is a better Christian than present Andre. And he can be a living sacrifice, you know. How many of you approach scriptures like that that way? But consider this, you know. Why not, instead of glancing over and skimming past the very big commands of God, we take small steps in order to get there? What if being a living sacrifice looks like continually sacrificing living a life of continual sacrifice to the point that your life looks like Jesus. We approach a lot of things of God with a lottery mentality. When it comes, it comes, and it comes big. But what's missing in, the ch- in churches today is a real love for consistency. Consistency is what proves your character. Are you with me? 
one of the ways that Amy and I spice out our marriage is by being continually sacrificial. I won't go into the details of what I do to be sacrificial, but trust me, I am. <laughs> and all of y'all should be. You know. Really, it's really easy to get sucked into normalcy, into like, you know, routine, and things are all the same. You watch the same movies, go to bed at the same time, cook the same dishes every two weeks. But what spices up the marriage, what spices up the relationship is when we're continually sacrificial. That means that we allow ourselves to take a step beyond what's convenient. Continually. Because here's the thing I would like to suggest to you. Is that this. Yesterday's sacrifice can very well become today's convenience. That means that what you deem as sacrifice way back when, if you do it consistently enough, it becomes comfortable, it becomes normal, then it's no longer sacrifice. I know, it, it, it's like, oh, I don't want to do. <laughs> but I know, this, this is what we're called to do as Christians, come on. <laughs> that making sense? Here's the other thing I want you to know about sacrifice, and there's this. Every time sacrifice is mentioned in the Bible, when it's done right, when it's, it's done in a, in a proper way, fire always falls on sacrifice. 100% of the time, fire always falls on sacrifice. Are you with me? That tells me this, that God responds to sacrifice. God responds to sacrifice. When you allow yourself to be inconvenienced, when you allow yourself to sacrifice, He responds from heaven. It's that divine exchange. Am I making sense? What does that mean for us as a faith community? With that in mind, I'd like to suggest to you this thought. All of worship has to be sacrificial in nature. And when our worship moves from a song service into us becoming a people of living sacrifice, we will begin to see the activities of God in this place. Fire always falls on sacrifice. Fire always falls on sacrifice. Where there is a lack of fire, where there is a lack of activity, it always correlates to a lack of sacrifice. When was the last time you allowed yourself to be inconvenienced? Has worship become a really convenient thing to you? Has it become a routine? Or is it still a sacrifice? Think about that. Just have that imagery in mind that whenever worship was talked about in the Old Testament, it involved preparation, it involved consideration, it involved thought. When was the last time you put preparation, consideration, thought into your worship? Do you come to church with the expectation or the consideration to lay a sacrifice before God. We talked about this last week, that the city is not just a service you attend, it's a family you belong to. I'd like to propose another extension to that statement, and that is this. The city is not a service you receive, it's a family you belong to. Churches, though called services, are not a service rendered. It's an opportunity for us to serve one another, to serve God in our worship primary reason for worship is the adoration, it's the service of God Almighty. Amen? What does that mean for us as a faith community? It means that this, you won't always feel something or feel like worshipping. You won't. Sometimes bad moments fail. True, I was in the bed, I can say that. Sometimes, you know, worship leader, you know, cranky and not that in it, never sleep enough. But we, we try, man, we bring our A game. I, I love Chris. 
for many reasons. But one of the reasons I love Chris is because he's as passionate down here as he is up there. That's integrity. That's character. And I wouldn't put any worship leader on the stage. That doesn't do the same. You won't always feel like worshipping. It's not hypocritical to worship when you don't feel like it. It's hypocritical to profess to be a community of faith and not and only be motivated by feeling. That making sense? There will be times when hardship, troubles, uncertainty, and mystery comes. Everything happening around you seems to tell you that God isn't good. Everything around you seems to tell you that He isn't worth worshipping. The things that you profess about Him on the screen, it's a lie because you don't see it manifest in your life at that present moment. That is where worship becomes a sacrifice. That's when worship becomes something that costs you. I'd like to suggest to you this, and that is that our time on earth, this 60, 70, 80 years, depending on your preference on when you want to die, this time on earth that we have together is our only opportunity to offer God an offering that costs us. It is our only opportunity because the Bible promises that there will be a day that every tear will be wiped away. no, No sorrow. No pain, no mystery. All will be revealed. In that day, your worship will be, invol- it will, will be involuntary. He's right before you. You can't, you can't do anything else. I've often wondered why God just, just doesn't appear while I worship. Because if He does, our worship will no longer be voluntary. Worship won't be a byproduct of our will. On earth is our only opportunity to offer Him an offering that costs us. Am I making sense? It is when you know there's mystery attached to it. It's when there's hardship, and there's pain, and there's uncertainty that our worship becomes a sacrifice. Amen? It could be that you've been expressing your passion for Jesus through worship in a comfortable manner for many years. And the sacrifice might look like taking a step of courage and allowing yourself to be undignified. Within parameters, of course. I don't want any one of you stripping naked in my church. It's just not the way we roll. No back to Eden in this place. Huh? But when was the last time your worship cost you? When was the last time you sweat a little in worship? You know? You put a bit of passion, you put a bit of yelling, you know. Maybe you've got, gotten comfortable with this, like, feel the wave stuff. Maybe you need to, like, you know, go up here, put a bit of deodorant first, you know. Maybe you need to jump, maybe you need, you need to yell, maybe you need to spin, maybe you need to dance. Come on. When was the last time this worship sacrificed? When was the last time your worship involved sacrifice? Here's a thought, you know, that that it isn't worship unless it is sacrificial. When does it shift from becoming a song service into worship? It's when there's sacrifice. Amen? Are you with me? No, these are non-exhaustive, whatever whatever I said. And um, 
You know, I, I want to recognize something that, that God has been gracious to us as a church. You know, when, when we worship, you know, we feel the tangible presence of the Lord. You know, we feel Him here. We worship not for Him to come. We worship because He is here. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, let's get that right. He's here. And He's worthy of our worship. Uh, but I, I believe that God wants to take us on another level. There is a more that's installed for us as a church. And when we allow ourselves to be inconvenienced in church, in this, in this room, when we allow ourselves to be sacrificial, when we allow ourselves to go beyond what's normal, what's repetitive, what's convenient, my suggestion to you is that God responds from heaven. It's a 100% thing. Fire always falls on sacrifice. You want the more of the Lord in your life. Sacrifice. You want God to move in your heart in a greater measure, in a new way. Sacrifice. That making sense? All right? Let me stand. <coughs> I promised you three points, and so I'm just going to give you the three points real quick. All right? Now, I believe that when we worship, you know, God responds from heaven. And I believe he, he does so. You know, I, I, I talked about it a bunch. And I believe that, that here are the three things that occurs in worship. I believe that worship realigns perspective. It realigns the perspective. You know, it, it causes you to see from a heavenly perspective. Amen? Sometimes, you know, you struggle, you get overly impressed with the devil. Everything seems to suggest to you that it's not going to turn out well. Worship, it realigns your perspective. Next thing I believe worship does that it's that worship wages war. It wages war. Come on. It wages war. Come on. You know, I, I think about Jehoshaphat where he put worshippers at the, at the front of his army, you know, and it said that when he did that, the enemy began killing themselves. I think you can accomplish a lot more with God than with your own strength. Just a suggestion. You know, worship, it wages war. That making sense. Something about worship. And the last thing I, I believe worship does is that it restores our wonder. Or I believe more accurately, it recaptures our wonder. I'd like to share with you a verse before we worship, which is the thing you ought to do after hearing a message on worship. <laughs> Psalms 34, verse 3, it goes, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. The word magnify seems to intrigue me a lot, you know, because... If I look at it plain and simple, at face value, it seems like I can make God bigger through my worship. You know, it's like, like an iPhone, you know, you make God bigger and bigger and bigger and He grows to exponential size. I don't think that's a, what magnify means. Do you? Do you think, that, do you think so? I don't think we make God bigger in our worship. We, we, we don't do that. But here's what I believe happens when you magnify the Lord. Think of, of it as a magnifying glass. If you put a magnifying glass towards something, that image becomes bigger, right? But not only does the image become bigger, the things that are around, the other stuff, they seem to fade away. They seem to go out of focus because you are focused on that image to which you have magnified. It's like that song, Turn Your Eyes on Jesus. The things of the world grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. When we magnify the Lord, when we worship Him, we put all things into the right perspective. That though the circumstances look bigger, though troubles seem like a raging storm, God is still bigger. God 
is still in control. God has a better word. And when we worship, it reminds us of that. It puts things in the right perspective. It restores our wonder and awe. For creator that is all-powerful, fully good. Amen? That's why we worship. This morning, I, I want to lead us in the time where we offer a sacrifice of worship. And what, does, what do I mean by that? It means that it's time to get inconvenient. It's time to get uncomfortable. It's time to take a step beyond where you have gone. It means to do something different. It means to sing, to praise, even when you don't feel like it. Because here's the simple truth. Even when you don't feel like doing it, even when the circumstances happen, even when all things around you are negative, He is still worthy. He is still worthy. No matter what happens. That's why we sing. So can I invite you, offer up a song to Him this morning. The Bible admonishes believers to raise up psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to Him in our worship. Worship Him this morning. Come on. Lift your voices. Lift your voices. Sing spiritual songs. Raise up a shout. Raise your voices. Sing a new song unto Him. Come on. Lift your voices.